Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. My show is called Human Behavior, What a Trip, and we're having a very unusual trip today. It's going to be a good trip. Uh, I'm with my guest, and she's with me, We're, we're, but we're guests of each other today. So you're going to hear two people talking who just met about an hour and a half ago, and the reason we met was um, uh, I didn't have a guest for today, and then um, I finally got a guest for today. And then, so here we are. So we're going to find out uh, find out about each other. And basically, we're going to have a conversation that's going to go in different ways and different curly cues and straight lines, who knows what. And you get to hear two human beings who barely know each other find out about each other. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Dr. Brower. Okay, by the way, I want you to call me Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan. And, and I will call you Michelle and not call you Dr. Michelle. <laughs> Perfect. So um, for everybody who's listening, including Michelle, I got out of my garage about uh, 11.30, I mean, excuse me, uh, 1.30 to be here in time for my 2 o'clock show. And um, for some reason, when I would push the button for the garage door to go up, it immediately would go down. So then I figured uh, there was something in my car. My clicker was somehow getting activated. I don't know if it was or wasn't. So finally I uh, exhausted, somehow I exhausted the, the door and it just stayed down after I got my car out for some reason. So um, 
that's why I'm a bit on the rush side. So, Michelle, um, we barely know each other, but we had a little bit of talk a couple about an hour and a half ago or an hour ago. Mm-hmm. So, so we're going to find out about each other. So, I'll tell you Excellent. a little bit about me to start with. Okay. Um, so, I have a story to tell, which tells a lot about me and how it affected me. So, um, when my father, he was a surgeon, when my father was um, 18 years old, his sister, who was 12, and who was uh, mildly retarded, she um, had appendicitis. And in those days, <clears throat> there was no surgery for an appendix bursting. So um, my father's mother told my father, so at some point after the, her daughter died, the 12-year-old died, my grandmother, her name was Bella, she told my father that the wrong child died. Oh. That's, oh, it's right. It's, it's, it's ghastly. I'm just going to give you the... Oh, outline. my goodness. That's I know. terrible. It's, ter- it's terrible. And um, so my father ended up becoming a surgeon, and he was a general surgeon in, in the days when he started being a, a medical doctor, which was in the 40s. Um very early 40s, uh, there were a lot of general surgeons. There are hardly any general surgeons anymore. So he, he did a lot of different kinds of um, surgeries, but one of the ones he did a lot of was appendectomies. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So um, he... Well, I didn't know it at the time, but since I, I'm a psychotherapist and all that, and I understand things that I'm going to try and make clear to everybody. So my father, at the age of 18, had to uh, – well, well, let me back up a teeny bit. Even before his sister was had, had any kind of uh, death problem, uh, my father had to have had retaliatory rage at my mother – his mother, rather. That was a slip. We'll get to that in a moment. He had to have rage towards his mother, who was cruel to him in many ways. It was verbal cruelty and and being disconnected to him. He, she wasn't physically abusive with uh, arms and fists and stuff. Well, emotional abuse can be far more yes, devastating yes, than physical yes, abuse. Yes. You can heal from physical abuse. Yes. So, anyways, when, when um, my father was growing up and being being hurt by his from his mother he had to have had retaliatory rage but he also had some love for her and wanted to be able to love her so what he had to do to avoid his feelings and impulses was to push down his feelings he would uh, he would lose the energy of his power and he would become depressed and when he got depressed he pushed. He ended up pushing down his feelings. So then, for the rest of his life, he had to be attacking himself in various ways. Not physically, but one can be dismissive of oneself and do a lot of different things that are cruel to somebody, to themselves. He had to punish himself for nothing he actually did in real life. 
it's all it was in the unconscious, his wanting to retaliate, retaliate and kill his mommy. Now, this is very common. This is nothing, this is like half the population of the world. But the point I'm making is he uh, had to make amends to save his sister, which he couldn't do, but he was saving other people with his surgery when they had appendectomies. So then my mother, she grew up, oh, my parents were Jewish and their parents came from Russia. So my mother's uh, parents, my mother was the youngest of seven children. They, she grew up in Winnipeg. My father grew up in New York City. My mother um, had a father who was very abusive emotionally to the, to the girls and uh, physically and emotionally abused to the boys. So my mother had to um, be afraid of her father hurting her. And my mother also had to be afraid of what was inside her, which were her impulses. When people have, here's how it goes, when people have um, strong emotional feelings, if they can't tolerate their feelings, they quickly think of an upside-down triangle with the top of the triangle and the bottom. So if you look at the top, bottom of the triangle, the, um, the strong feelings that are forbidden quickly go to anxiety. And anxiety symptoms can be very hard and cruel and uh, punishing. So then the person quickly goes to defense. And that's where people get stuck. People get stuck in therapy with defense. They don't learn how to dismantle their defenses and to be able to be aware of their real feelings and impulses and see in fantasy what they wanted to do but wouldn't do in real life. Anyway, that's a that's a bit of a thumbnail there. So then um, here's me, Jonathan Brower, and I ended, I ended up becoming, among other things, a college professor, was a sociologist at Cal State University Fullerton in California. I was there from 72 to 79. And then in 1984, I became a psychotherapist in private practice, and I do that to this day. So with my parents, my father was uh, depressed, mild depressed. He had mild depression, uh, but it was very constant. And uh, my mother was highly anxious. So guess what my specialties are as a psychotherapist? <laughs> anxiety and depression. We're and drawn this, to that which we need to learn. Yes, and this is very common. I mean, and the what I'm talking about isn't only for the um, people who are getting the the bad side of things, but even for people who are getting the good side of things, we tend to gravitate to, what's, to what we got from our lineage. Not, this, not necessarily uh, in terms of uh, our cellular structure, but in terms of how we were as human beings and how the youngsters that were below us, how they had to absorb what we gave to them, and even if it was in an unconscious way. So that's defined my life. The other part that's defined my life is at the age of seven, excuse me, at the age of ten, I started uh, reading a lot of books, a lot of biographical stuff. Actually, I still love biographies. And um, I was reading them as fast as I could. This is at the age of ten and beyond. And then finally, in my 
uh, earlier mid-teens, I had an epiphany, and I realized what I was doing. I was trying to find out what people were and what families seemed to be more at ease and more comfortable with each other and which weren't. And then uh, I tried to start making sense of how that worked. And then, when I before I graduated high school, I started reading books, all the books I could get, on by uh, Sigmund Freud. Books he wrote, books about him. And then when I was in college, when I'd take my study breaks <laughs> in the library, I'd go to the psychoanalytic uh, uh, papers, you know, they're, they're abound. It's not like a big magazine kind of thing. And I would read, read, uh, stuff about psychoanalytic issues. So that's, um, been my huge interest, human behavior. What a trip. That's why I have this show. Oh, wonderful. Well, yeah, it's your, it's your why. Yeah. As, my, as yeah. I call it, your why. Yeah. And my why just- is very wide in some, in some ways, and it's very, Circumcised, circumscribed in other ways, which, uh, in some ways is good for me because, uh, I don't think I'm really good at being an expert on a lot of things, but I'm an expert on what I really like to be an expert about. So that's some of my, uh, biography. And Michelle, why don't you give us yours? Wow, you want me to start with my parents or? <laughs> you, can, you can do any way you want. Well, you know, my my parents were divorced, like so many. So I re- I really grew up with my mom, and primarily most of the time a single single mom. So when people say, "Oh, you're an only child," I said, "Yes, but of a single mom." That's a little bit different than previously what people you know yeah. think about or speculate about when they hear "only child." How old so, were you? When, how old were you when your parents divorced? Um, between six and seven. And then from then on, did you have a regular relationship with your dad? No. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Um, very little to virtually no, no contact. And and sadly today, it's pretty much limited to weddings and funerals. I see. Although a lot of normal families are that way too. I don't know how time gets in the way, but yeah, yes. I pretty much just have the relationship with my mom and and you know her family, her side of the family, my yeah. grandmother. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, how was it being well we'll go back to your mom in a second because the, the dad won't take much time probably so when he left the family how did it impact you and how did you feel about it at the time well i mean i don't know how conscious a 6 year old is necessarily but um you know my in my memory as i recall it my my father was pretty abusive as well, verbally. You know, I remember there always being a lot of, of tension, so I don't recall being very upset about it. It was actually a more comfortable situation to be in. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, my mom, and when I look back at it now, I realize how really young my mom was. You know, she was 26, so she had me, you know, at 20. So when I look at a 26-year-old today and, you know, what she must have been going through, I'm kind of in awe, really. Yes. I don't have any children of my own yet, and I go, "Wow, you yes. know, if I were my mom, I'd have a 22-year-old." You know, yes, so, yeah. Um, but um, I mean, I feel very fortunate. I I personally believe that in many ways everything happens for a reason, and I think we do have a 
we have free will, but I do think fate and destiny has a place in time. I think we all have a path and a purpose. I think this is a learning ground. And yes. I don't think, I think people come into our lives for a reason, season, or lifetime. You know, whether that's a, a friend or a business partner or, you know, a loving relationship or even a relative. So I don't, I probably wouldn't be who I was today if my parents were together, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, you know, his probably uh, path or purpose was just to help me get to the planet. And his job is done and, you know, I'm on my own now. <laughs> so, yes. But um, I'm sure it drives a lot of, you know, again, you know, who I am. As I understand it, and of course you're the expert, but who well, we I'm are. Well, I'm the expert in some things, things and you're the yeah. expert in other things, yeah. So much of who we are and our core values and characters forms between zero and eight. I've, I've actually heard, you know, whatever energetically was going on for your parents six yes. months before you even were conceived is also a huge part of who we are today. Like you said, were they stressed? Were they anxious? Were they happy? Were they in love? What yeah. was the dynamic? Because so many of the tapes we're playing in our subconscious, we're not even aware of. Yes. But was evaluating, you know, what was happening in our, you know, familial relationships when we were little. Yes. So, um, as, as I mentioned, we had a, a bit of a talk earlier today, and um, it seems very clearly to me that for you, you have um, a way of thinking about what influenced you before you were even conceived. And you also have a, a view of what's going to happen after you die, after your body dies. And um, I've always found that interesting. And I kind of, I, well, not kind of, I like the idea of it, but there's this uh, scientist part of me that doesn't see how it's possible. But I'm not dismissing it. I just, I just can't figure out how it works. I don't know if you can figure it out either. But. Well, I mean, like you, I have the same curiosity towards life and people and how we operate and why we operate and why we're here. And uh, I'd be happy to give you some incredible guests for your show, actually. I love um, that. That speaks specifically on those topics or the topic of life after life. Or, you know, Dr. Raymond Moody coined the term near-death experience, and I, I have contact with him and Daniel Brinkley, um, you know, he is a three-time survivor of a near-death experience. But I, on a ba- I mean, I'm like you in that as much as I love, let's call it the metaphysical or the spiritual or the occult, I'm also very science-minded. I'm a, I'm a triple Virgo. So at the same time, I want proof, you know, show me. And what I do believe is energy. I mean, energy can be measured. It's, I don't care who you are, you know, we are vibrational beings. We are spiritual beings. There's machines that can measure at what megahertz we vibrate at. I think it's about 72 or something. So we also know that energy can't be destroyed. So I don't think that when we die or our body dies, that's it. I'd I'd like to believe there's some make sense of all this, you know, whether we come back again or whether that energy goes somewhere else and is dispelled. Okay, I have two questions to ask you. One has to do with the energy thing. So um, let's say um, I'm in a fire and I'm burned to ashes and then the ashes 
uh, fly away or get wet and soggy and then they decompose at some point. How do you imagine the energy works after all the human stuff is gone when someone dies? Well, I mean, I can give you some guests on that, too. They're probably a lot savvier than I am. But, I mean, I think there's even a movie called 21 Grams. It's actually kind of even been measured, like, when the spirit leaves the body. But, uh-huh. like you said, and you had an amazing guest on your show recently that, you know, had difficulty with, and, you know, birth effects. Yes. And I mean, we're not our arms. We're not our legs. We're not, you know, we need certain aspects of our body to function, but those things really aren't us. Who we are is, you know, the spirit, um, yeah. the, the energy, our essence, what makes us, you know, um, here. What well, makes us yeah, part. but you're talking but about while we're alive, yeah. You know, people have seen ghosts or apparitions. I believe those are people that are probably stuck between here and whatever you believe heaven may be or whatever the other side is. To me, two-thirds of the world believe in reincarnation. So, I mean, I haven't been there yet that I'm aware of, but Uh I'd like to think that we don't just come here and it's not all random, that we protect, we may have a soul group or a soul family, and it's not coincidences. And again, those people that touch our lives, whether it's the reason, season, or lifetime, we're here to learn from them or give to them. And and we all, no matter who we are, have the same things to learn or the same basic foundation, love, yeah. compassion, empathy, forgiveness, all the things that you work with clients on every day. Because, you know, again, some of these things that have, may have happened in our childhood or in, in growing up, we form resentment, we form anxiety. We, yes. It's all about learning. To me, this is a, a learning ground and there is a place way better than Earth, although this is amazing. Yeah. You know, where we, what I've heard from many people who have had, or I've read about from near-death experiences, is that you get a panoramic life review. And that and then, you experience... And then what happens? <laughs> you experience life as you remember it. You know, your whole life flashes behind, be, before your eyes. And many people have said that, whether they're in an accident or whatever. I saw my life flash before my eyes. Yeah. And it, it it's like a movie, and you see it first person, then it flashes before you second person. So yes. everyone whose lives you've touched, whether it be you've created joy for them or pain or sorrow or happiness, um, you experience what they were feeling. And then the third time you review your life, it's omniscient. It's more from non-judgmental, where you look and say, wow, you know, I could have made some improvements perhaps. But I think we would all treat each other a lot better if we knew potentially we might have to answer for our actions one day. So that's why my show is called Six Degrees, because I think it's a really small world, and, you know, what goes around comes around. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm curious about one thing, maybe uh, ten paragraphs or so ago from you. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, You mentioned Triple Virgo. I be, I be, I, I'm not into the signs, and what does Triple Virgo mean? Well, I mean, I, most of us are familiar with our sun sign, you know, what what sun sign we were born under, Virgo, Aquarius, you know, Pisces. Um, yeah. Virgo is a an earth sign, so it's, yeah. um, you know, of the air, water, fire, earth. My sun is in Virgo, Pluto is in Virgo, and Mercury is in Virgo, so... 
I tend to be very grounded, logical, and again, as much as I love the spiritual realm, like you, I, I like science and facts. Show me yes. something. Prove it to me, you know? Yes. I also tend to be super highly organized, very talkative, and um, some would say anal retentive, but those are all qualities. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Also very so, loyal. Okay. Give me a few examples of how you're anal retentive. Well, you know, Nate would probably love to join in on this conversation if he's listening, but... Um, well, you know, part of it's what I'm drawn to. I mean, uh, a Virgo tends to see beauty and everything, or they want to fix it. I'm going to notice if a picture is crooked. If I'm sitting in your office and your picture's crooked, I probably won't be able to focus on you until I straighten out the picture. I so, see. you know, um, but, you know, in radio, I mean, we work in seconds. You know, yeah. if you're doing a commercial and it has to be 30 seconds, it better be 30 seconds. So, you know, if you're a surgeon... There's certain things you need to be very particular about, you know. Yes. So I, I see it as a gift, you yeah. know. It yes. can also be a double-edged sword. Yes. So um, so when I was a kid, and uh, I must have been younger than seven, and uh, so in my family, uh, we were a bit, you know, we celebrated Judaism to some low-level amount and then um, when my sister and I were young enough for a few years we also had Christmas tree for some reason which was okay with me I didn't really care either way so um, uh, once I learned the myth about Santa Claus and how Santa Claus would come to your house at midnight and go down the chimney I immediately figured out this can't be true because Santa Claus can't get to every every chimney and every chimney at midnight. He's too big to go down the chimney anyway, and uh, the sleigh that's taking them all over the place can't get everywhere at the same time. And uh, reindeers and sleighs can't uh, get up in the sky and fly. So, and one of the biggest myths about that is that first of all, all those reindeer were female. Most people think they're male, but they were female reindeer for sure. Okay, well, even if they were female, they, they, it couldn't happen. They just can't fly. So then, when I started learning about God, I had the same. I had the same view because it, it seemed to me God couldn't be everywhere doing everything. It's just too incredible. Um, and then, about ten years ago, maybe a little less. Uh, I'm a very big devotee of a fellow who's on the air. His name is Dennis Prager. He's in a lot of... Uh-huh, sure. You listen to him sometimes? I don't really listen, but I'm very aware of who he is. Yeah, okay. So um, one day he said, um, he was talking about um, uh, atheism and uh, being an atheist and... Uh, And then he was talking about how uh, you could be an agnostic. But he said, how can nothing come out of everything? So, Or how can everything come out of something? So uh, once upon a time, the way it's supposed to be, there was this big blast in the universe, and then eventually uh, planet Earth became alive. But what made it come alive? So as soon as he pointed out that something can't come out of nothing, I immediately changed from being an atheist to being an agnostic. That's wonderful. Yeah, so that's where I am today. Now, I'm not uh, 
anti-religion at all. And actually, I wish I could be believing in God. One example is when I was uh, in college and I was on the cross-country team and track team and I had this roommate and a friend of mine and uh, when we go to the starting line for a race, he would take he was he was um, Catholic. He would take the bottom of his chain, which had the um, the one of the one of the one of the people who's got a coin on the end of the chip. I forget which one, which saint it was, some saint. And he would flip it in the back, and he would then cross his right before we you know started the race. He would do the cross, you know. On the left side, the right side, ups and down. And meanwhile, I'm standing next to him, and I don't have any God helping me. And I was angry that he had this force, real or imagined, that was going to help him, and I had to be by myself. So um, at that point, I wish I could believe in God, but I just can't, uh, in, a, in a sterile way, manufacture that I believe it. So... Um, that's my story. I'm just talking about how Santa Claus and God seem too realistic, too unrealistic, actually, to, to really work. But for the people who can embrace it and believe in it and who use it for their best virtues and help them get through life better, I'm excited for them. I'm happy for them. Well, I, I mean, I, I grew up in Alaska, and I'm very fortunate right now to have been spending a lot of time in Hawaii. And yes. I don't know how you can, you know, not look out at the ocean or look at Mount McKinley or look at the rainforest or look at the animals and fish and not believe in God or some form of energy and realize on some level, how very small we are and the, the brilliance and the and intelligence of nature, you know, and go, wow, I don't know how we got here or they got here, but there has to be something, something that explains it. And, you know, I know it's a sensitive subject because I'm fortunate that I work with clients often all over the world and in different nationalities and always having a show on Voice America and being able to reach over 72 countries and millions of people. Um, you always want to be sensitive not to offend, but the work that you do for someone's personal well-being is the same as the work that I do for their business well-being. Yes. And I always say that, I'm just trying to help you align with what I believe is your path and your purpose and your God or universal given gifts and energy. Because when people are on path and purpose, whether it's towards the relationship they want or the job they want or the career they want or whatever that might be, they feel re-energized. They feel good. People, why do people commit suicide? Because lack of hope. They've lost all hope, all energy. They don't see any possibilities. So, I mean, I choose to believe that there is something greater than us. What is it? I don't know. I mean, I believe in reincarnation. I probably won't know until I'm back next lifetime. But, I mean, I have seen a few people that I probably knew before. Yes. So, well, I agree with you totally about when I see uh, beautiful things in nature or even two people kissing and loving each other or holding hands or 
to be, to people playing catch with a ball, whatever it is. When I see these kinds of things, and I see them every day, and I get energ- I get energized, and I get happy every day when I see this. So um, yeah. I have all that. I just don't have the notion that there is this powerful presence we call God, but it seems uh, it's possible. It's, it's, it's either way it's possible that there's no God or there's a God. There, there either is one or there isn't. And uh, I'm okay with it, with it not being a God, except if God can do all the things that we want him to do, or her, or whatever it is, whatever gender, um, then it's, sometimes I feel like I am missing out. But I can't force it. I mean, I can't just say I'm going to believe. So, uh, some, so in some ways, we're talking about exactly like the same thing, it. except I, I, I don't see a God and you do. Well, the kind of God that I would like to believe in is that he created everything. Therefore, it's impossible to be separate than him. And whether you believe in him or not, you actually are God. We are all God. Yeah. Okay, so... So, um, I mean, I don't think that his intention necessarily was organized religion. Like, I, I don't think. I don't think he had all these rules, minus the rules of the universe or... Yeah, that makes sense. Rule, I agree with that. That's rules right. of you know ethic, like that shall not kill. You know, yes. yes, I think those more worldly, universal laws, or or more of what I think he chose for us, and that's also why he gave us free will. Yes. Okay, so here's something. Um, uh, when Noah built the ark, supposedly, and then Noah took. Uh, Two animals of each species. The the ark couldn't have been big enough for all the animals. So I realize it's a, it's a story, but it's an exaggerated story. And there's something about exaggeration that I don't like. I like it to be authentic or well, real. Well, I think it's probably a metaphor. I mean, probably I think so. We are we are an oral society. We are, as humans, we we. How we absorb information is through story. Yes. And again, in the work that I do when I'm helping somebody with their branding is un- help their audience understand their story. Much yeah. like you're saying, your father became a surgeon. Okay, but why? Oh, well, this and this happened and his sister died at 12. Exactly. That's some underlying why is the story. Yes. Well, actually, in my father's case, he really wanted to be a um, professor of English literature. But <laughs> his parents uh, told him, perhaps brainwashed him, that uh, it would be harder for him to be a professor because, in, at least in, my, in his parents' uh, eyes, um, they thought that uh, there would be too much anti-Semitism and he'd have a hard time getting a position in the college. But as a surgeon, he didn't have to worry about it. So um, my father was a very good surgeon, and uh, he actually had a deep sadness that he didn't get to become a um, teacher in teaching English teaching English literature. Well, I'm sure there's millions of yeah. um, 
people in the world that are on a path that, you know, wasn't of their choosing or they wanted to please or make their parents happy. And, you know, I have a guest for you on that subject, too, that walked away from a six-figure job to, I don't know how she got into the job in the first place, but just saying, this is not where my passion lies. This is not what I'm passionate about. And I want she wants to inspire other people to follow their passion. So, if you're yes. a surgeon and you decide you want to be an underwater deep sea diver photographer tomorrow, what yes. is stopping you? That's and a great you question. Know, That's a great question. You, the only yeah. thing that truly stops us is fear. I agree. I agree. I agree tremendously. So we were talking about our whys. So yes. has your has your why over the years changed dramatically, or is it pretty much the same thing, but maybe dressed in different clothing? No, yeah, I say it's pretty much the same thing. I know you were talking to Nate earlier, and we used to have a show called The Naked Truth, and I've had five shows. And all my shows, though, had the same basic foundation, even though they had a different name. It was a behind-the-scenes look at life, uh-huh. you know. Um, so I had The Naked Truth. I had 180 Radio, which was everything needed to turn your life around. I had In the Mix. Some people say I have a fear of commitment. I just like to have show titles that are very generic so I can talk about anything. Yeah, me and, too. <laughs> and currently my show is called Six Degrees because, um, again, because of the process that I take people through to help them more clearly uncover their path, their purpose, as it shows up in their business, uh-huh. you know, their, their business branding, I call it. Um, yes. For me, I love helping people get the best information they can. I like interviewing people like yourself that are doing things in the world to help others. And that that information can be global. Because when you're helping someone, a new client or patient in your office, and overcome a fear or a heartbreak or some kind of loss, that information is universal. It doesn't matter if you're in New York. It doesn't matter if you're in Texas. It doesn't matter if you're in Alaska. It doesn't matter if you're in Saudi Arabia. You'd have to speak English to understand yes. it. But my passion is helping people get their message out to a larger, more global audience. So I yes. like working with national or global products and services. But I also like helping people be really clear on, you know, what they are doing um, so that they're attracting their right audience. And it comes back to the energy that we talked about. If your message is being very clearly communicated to your audience, then you're going to have a, a higher client base. Yeah. You know, so you're going to be able to continue about, to do the work that you love. Yeah. So basically you're talking about clarity, which is really important. Yeah, and it's very hard for an individual entrepreneur or small business owner, and I'm only saying this because I went through it myself. I'm not judging anyone to have clarity because they are too close to the situation. So similar to yourself, you probably couldn't counsel yourself very well because you're in the middle of it. You're in the forest. Yeah, some degree that's true. I had to go to someone outside of my outside of me to help me. So the work I can do for others, I can't do for myself. I'm too close to it. But when you create this, what I call the science of brand alignment strategy, I call it branding, landing, and launching. Um, Branding, landing, and launching. Yeah, Yeah. most people confuse branding with, um, you know, their logo, their website, their social media. That's actually the landing of your brand. True branding is the Jungian archetype. It's 
what is the energy that you are creating? What, who are you in the world and how is that energy going out? Because every brand in the world is trying to evoke a certain emotion in you. When you see a Mercedes commercial or a Doritos commercial or a Nike commercial, Nike's a warrior. You know, yes. Mercedes is a ruler. Um, yes. They're just trying to, you know, you can use all the logic in the world when you're deciding what kind of car you're going to buy, but ultimately you might buy a Ferrari over a Mercedes. It doesn't matter how much it costs. If you see yourself driving down the road in a Ferrari, you're going to buy the Ferrari. That's an emotional decision, not a financial one. You know, obviously yes. you have to be able to do it, but it doesn't, every time we go to make a decision, yeah. we use all the logic, and at the last minute, we, it's something that happens internally in our gut that says, oh, I want that, I need that, that will help me. So true branding is the story, it's uh-huh. the why, and it's, it's who you are. Then uh-huh. the landing is the communication of that brand. It's the, the website, the logo, the colors that you're using, um, the picture that you took. What is that communicating consciously and subconsciously to your target market? Yeah. And launching is things like you and I do. It's using uh, a media channel, having your own radio show, having your own television show, having your own video network, uh, writing a book. Um, yes. Doing an audio series, having a, a PR campaign, that is the launching of your brand. Yes. So when I work with somebody, I again, I'm working the same way you are. You're helping the person, I'm helping the business. I'm going, who are yes. you, where are you stuck, and where do we need to move this energy? And when we move it and align things, you become a magnet. It's law of attraction for business. Your so clients we, so, start so coming we, to you. I'm sorry. I, I, I interrupted you. What? What was the last thing you were saying? I said, when when you when we align this, your clients start finding you. You okay. don't look for your clients. I mean, look at Apple. Look at the brand that Apple has created. Apple could put a leaf in a box and tell you that they have a new product out, and people will be lined up out the door before they even know what it is, ready to buy it, just because it's Apple. Yeah. And you have that kind of brand following and brand loyalty, then, you know, and that can happen for anybody, whether you're an individual or a business. It's just okay. about being honest, meaningful, and different. So let me uh, run this by you. So for me, uh, I'm a sociologist. I'm a psychotherapist. I also uh, uh, have a business with Legal Shield. You may never have heard of, heard of them before. Yes, but, I'm familiar. Okay, so I have those. I have uh, my websites for... Um, uh, sports sociology and psychology. I have my website for my psychotherapy practice. I have my website for um, uh, my therapy practice, which is well, defeatanxietynow.com. And then I also have a website for my blogs. And uh, a friend of mine is also a psychotherapist. He and I have written some screenplays. But wow. they've, never, they've never been purchased yet. Uh, we actually even haven't found an agent yet. So all I'm saying is there's all these ways in which I'm spread out. And at some point, am I too spread out? Absolutely. In fact, and, and I don't want to judge you uh, without yeah. actually taking the time to look at everything you're doing. Yeah. Because for some people, they need that separatism. Like they all of all aspects of their brand cannot be under one umbrella. 
But yeah. for others, it may actually dilute you and it may actually confuse your audience because when a consumer is confused, they don't buy. If they think, well, how can you be a sports psychologist and a this and a that and a this yeah. and do legal zoom and a screenwriter? How, how can you do all of these? Because not everyone has that ability. And so they judge based on their own ability. So I'm going to use myself as an example. Okay. We've got you know, about two minutes to go. Okay. You know, I have a talk show. I have, I make jewelry and I have a charity support group. Well, uh-huh. those all make sense to me, but to somebody else, yeah. it's like I, they don't think I'm qualified at anything because I'm doing everything. Yeah. However, I'm a, I'm a creator. That's what I do. But I'd love to, you know, work with you on your brand and then maybe have you on my show sometime and, and let's that. look at it and, and let's see if we can make you more effective by having a laser beam approach instead of a shotgun approach to what you're doing. Yes, that sounds good. So um, back in the uh, 70s, my father was a surgeon. He had a, a friend who was also a, doc- a doctor. He wasn't a surgeon, but he was some medical doctor. And this guy, the medical doctor, he at one point became the mayor of Beverly Hills for a bunch of years. And a lot of people thought that was terrible. How could he be doing both? But he could do both. And it worked for him. Now, he wasn't worried about branding or not, I don't think. But the point is, people expect us to be a certain way, and we're supposed to conform to what they think, but that's not good for our psyche to do that, necessarily. Well, he probably actually was worried about branding, and if he didn't have such a solid brand, if people didn't believe in him, he wouldn't have been able to do both. Because people have to believe in you and that brand, consciously or subconsciously, or you wouldn't be the mayor of Beverly Hills. (laughs) Yes. It does actually work that way. Yes. Okay, we have one minute to go. Well, actually, we have 30 seconds to go. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, I'd love to talk to you on your show. And also, uh, after we get off the air... Just stick on a minute or two. I want to get your phone number and call you back and make some other appointments for you or for me to see Wonderful. You. Yeah. Wonderful. So uh, it's been a pleasure having you. And I, I, we could have talked for hours and hours about all kinds of things, but uh, not at one time apparently. So uh, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody, including my guest. Uh, I'll see you another time. And uh, I look forward to being with everybody on the radio next time. So this is Jonathan Brower saying goodbye for now and goodbye, Michelle. And that's it. The show is done. Talk Aloha. To you later. Thank you. Thank you for being on my show. Bye, everybody. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. 